As a business owner of an aquaculture company, how can you take the first step to be profitable and sustainable at the same time? That's what we're going to be talking about in these episodes. Hello, and welcome to the Business of Aquaculture podcast. This is the podcast for the sustainable business movement in the aqua farming and ocean ranching industries. This podcast aims to amplify the voices of entrepreneurs addressing the United Nations Global Goals, aka Sustainable Development Goals, number 14, to conserve and sustainably use the oceans and the seas. Listen in to fellow business aquaculturists in their journey in this new model of food production of making their business sustainable and help the ocean's ecology while also making a profit all at the same time. Get inspired to learn how even small to medium businesses can make an impact to save the seas, leave a legacy, and have a better quality of life. One of our goals is you take away a nugget of wisdom that will help your business move from the industrial revolution to business 5.0. Our vision is that of collaboration in the aquaculture industry. I'm Lourdes Gant, your host. As a business owner of an aquaculture company, what do you do to protect investors and be transparent with other stakeholders? That's what we're going to be talking about in this episode. This episode, I'm delighted to have the CEO of AquaBounty, a NASDAQ publicly traded company, Miss Sylvia Wolf. Welcome to the show, Sylvia. Thank you so much. I'm honored to be here. I'm so grateful that you took time. I know it's been a very busy week. <laughs> Ms. Wolf has a reputation as a proven leader and accomplished executive, driving both growth and improved performance. Her diverse career encompasses executive level positions in general management, sales, marketing, and merger and acquisitions in the variety of industry. Now we have Sylvia. Welcome again to the show, Sylvia. Thanks. Looking forward to our discussion. Me too. So maybe first, I wanted a background of how did you end up being in the aquaculture industry? Well, you know, I actually had been in the food industry for most of my career, essentially all of my career. And before Aquabounty, I was with a company called U.S. Foods, which is the second largest food service distributor in the United States. And as part of my responsibilities, I managed the seafood categories, which for U.S. foods is about two and a half billion dollars. And it gave me a familiarity with the seafood industry and in particular aquaculture because it was going through what I would consider to be an evolution to become more sustainable. So you think about best aquaculture practices and what was GAA. And we became very involved with both of those organizations, as well as the global seafood safety initiative, because we believe that Seafood is a healthy protein. We wanted it to be part of our portfolio and we wanted to do it well. Very good. It's such an amazing, diverse experience you have starting from seafood. Most of the time I see people move from aquaculture to seafood, but you kind of did the reverse, which was really interesting. So in this span of time that you've been, I guess I was going to ask you future transfer sustainable aquaculture, but now I'm going to make that bigger. Maybe more what are you seeing as a trend for sustainable seafood? I think that the seafood industry continues to want to really push themselves to think about their impact on the planet, on oceans, on aquaculture, and where and how it's farmed. And my interaction with the industry globally is that they care about the job that they're doing, the impact that they're having on the environment. And I think that 
you know, they're coming together in ways I don't think they were before. Previously, I would not have described the seafood industry as particularly technologically savvy. But if you look at what's happened just in the last four years, there is a host of new, whether it's analytics or methodologies or methods of farming or fishing, where they're taking new tools that allow them to be more sustainable. I think it's been an explosion. And I think it's because the industry really cares about their impact. And they also believe that they're not getting their fair share of protein consumption globally. And to do that, they really need to make sure that the methodologies that they're employing are being environmentally responsible. I think people are also getting more aware on how to solve the issue of food when we have to feed the 9 billion people population by 2050. It just reached 8 billion last year. So it seems that that's probably going to be surpassed by more than 9 billion. Yes, exactly. And so my next question then becomes, because AquaBounty is a publicly traded company, have you seen any differences? One of our guests in episode one for this season six as well is another publicly traded company, but in Australia stock exchange, Rare Foods. So have you seen any difference in terms of regulations on how with investor reporting or even on sustainability ESG requirements from another part of the globe compared to where AquaBounty's geographic location is? The U.S., because we're traded, as you said, on NASDAQ, is definitely focusing on ESG reporting. And I think, you know, globally, there was certainly a lot of talk, but not necessarily a lot of analytics to back it up. And everyone wanted to start doing the right thing. But until there were standards established, you know, how you reported things could be different depending on the company, depending on the geography. And now that we're having an international sustainability standards board, I think we're going to see common reporting metrics. And certainly in the US, it's become critical because a lot of your big investment funds are requiring an ESG approach. You know, they want to know what you're doing from an environmental social governance perspective, because as I've always said, That is really just a proxy for a well-run company. It shouldn't be a trend or a fad. It's the way you should be doing business. And I think that many companies have realized that and are incorporating ESG metrics into the way that they run their businesses. And that's certainly true in the U.S. It's a very good point about having standards because obviously people will probably have different definitions and take on what the proper reporting is in terms of the environmental, socials, and governance. But in terms of... You know, there's a lot of small and medium farmers in aquaculture. You think how they're able to incorporate based on these standards, if there's, I guess, cost and they are not even able to meet it, what would be some of the, I guess, recommendations that you can have for small and medium farmers in aquaculture to be able to meet these standards? The first thing is understanding what the standards are all about, because there are certain ways of operating that aren't necessarily more costly. And as long as you under, like what we did, we actually looked at all of the SASB standards, the GRI standards, the UN sustainability goals. And so if you just do a cursory evaluation of any of those, you can determine how you want to operate within, you know, the guidelines of those. And it doesn't mean that you have to do reporting. It doesn't mean you have to make a big investment, but what it does is it sets you up to better understand how best to operate according to those standards. So I I think the first step is education and awareness. 
and then they can determine what's right for their business. Very good point that some of them are not even costing right off the bat when you were talking, what pops up in my head since I'm mechanic in nature would be like, if I can just create like a simple scorecard that I can have a checklist that this will meet certain requirements that are needed for reporting, even in a small company, I should be able to meet some of those. And what you mentioned as well, that is just basically doing good business. So my next question then becomes, is there any other species that AquaBounty is taking a look? I know you're really big on salmon and on wrasse. The reason why I ask this question is because this other publicly traded company that I interviewed is actually going into wine, which was interesting, which is very different from seafood, but I can understand the food and beverage industry colliding together. Is there something that AquaBounty is doing along these lines? So when we think about our business, we think we have two core competencies. The first is we understand how to manage a land-based RAS facility, and that's a combination of biology and chemistry. So you really have to understand the interaction of those two. And the second is we are a R&D data-driven organization, you know, clearly a long history with our approval process for our genetically engineered salmon requires that. But we've really invested in R&D, and we believe that that R&D competence makes us a better operator of a RAS farm. And we think that it can be translated into other species without necessarily doing genetic engineering, because we understand how those systems work together around the needs of the species. And so the two that we're most interested in are shrimp and tilapia. And shrimp is the most consumed seafood globally. And tilapia is a good value. And we have a gene edited tilapia, which actually creates more biomass, which is a good thing because then you, you know your yields are better. And so we're looking at species like both shrimp and tilapia, but operating them in a RAS environment, because we believe that's going to be the way of the future. It's very fascinating. You just mentioned that because what pops up into my head, I was interviewing somebody from Valencia, Spain, about the shrimp industry, RAS, and he mentioned about zero discharge on the recirculating aquaculture system. What's your take on this? Because I believe there are some people who are using RAS who's not actually zero discharge, a low percentage, but can you spend more on that? Yes, I think particularly for shrimp, because, you know, you're talking about saltwater and how you need to have zero discharge because it's detrimental to the environment. And so I don't know that I've seen the proof that people have a zero discharge, but we are certainly investigating a number of technologies that are pretty close. And I think it's going to be critical because, again, the reason you want to be in a RAS farm is because you can minimize or improve your environmental impact. And to do that with shrimp, you definitely need to be thinking about the impact of your discharge. So I think it's there in the future. I don't know that I've seen anybody really demonstrate a continuous zero discharge capability yet. Sounds good. And so my last question is, being a CEO and a woman leader in this industry, what's some of the things that you've seen in terms of I wouldn't call it people problems. Let's just say, let's call it people challenges and how you dealt with it. What's the most challenging that you've dealt with in terms of team dynamics, I guess, or even maybe public relations in terms of investments? In terms of investments, I think it's important, even though everybody always says this, you really do need to give your team members a purpose for why they come to work. And We all want the feeling that we're making a difference and we need to know why we're doing what we're doing and it needs to matter to us. And so, you know, we spent a lot of time talking to our team members 
about what is it about Aqua Bounty that gets them excited, makes them want to come to work. And it's really about feeding people, right? It's about feeding people. It's about transforming aquaculture using technology and the science that they've all grown up with. And so that was really important to them. And then I also think it's how you interact with each other. And so we've used a lot of tools that help us better understand how others think or how they communicate, because we're not all the same, which is really the beauty of diversity, right? But sometimes those differences can create conflict. And so we've focused a lot on what are the values that we all share? And then how do we see those values come to life with individual team members and the interaction that they have with their other team members? And I think that's something that I believe has helped us stand out with investors is we're creating a culture. We've got a clear purpose that came right from the aquaculture technician level in our farms because it can't be a top-down thing. It can't be me saying, here's what your purpose is. I really wanted to hear from them. What is it that's unique about this experience? And what that allows us to do is to have higher levels of retention. You know, we spend a lot of time creating development plans for people because we want them to grow and succeed. And retention, you know, lack of retention, turnover is expensive and investors don't like that. And so we've watched our retention rates go up because we are really focused on communication, training and development and how we interact with one another. So good. That's so good. It's really important that I'm I'm glad you mentioned about not being top down, because I think now that a lot of industries are becoming community based, a lot of people really needed to be heard because they do contribute. So thank you again so much, Sylvia, for being on the show today. My biggest takeaway from our conversation was when you were talking about being data driven, as well as being a salmon focused expert in this aquaculture industry, because I think more and more technology, as you mentioned, needed to measure a lot more because before it was mostly, I guess, a lot of trial and error because this was just a very new industry. But now that technology is coming into place, a lot more data are being recorded. How can our listeners get in touch with you? They can reach out to me at my email, which is S-W-U-L-F, F as in Frank, at aquabounty.com. And I'd love to hear from them. Thank you very much again. For the next episode, we'll have John Nicholas, who is the CEO and founder of East Hampton Shocker Company, Inc., who invented a market-disrupting device to open oysters faster, safer, and gracefully. Do leave a review of the podcast and share with us the biggest takeaway from this episode. See you next week. Thanks again, Sylvia. I really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Take care. Bye for now. Thank you for listening, and I hope you are inspired from this episode. Do take a moment and share this with your friends and colleagues and rate and review the podcast wherever you get your podcasts. I'd love to know what your biggest takeaway from this conversation has been. What are you going to do differently? Please share your thoughts across social media and tag us. For links and show notes for this episode, visit our website www.sustainableaquaculture.ca slash podcast. Thank you again. I hope you will join me on the next episode and together we can help create a better business in aquaculture.